Welcome back, my spooky friends. This is Chappie, and you're listening to Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. Today, I'm going to be taking you through just some good old-fashioned ghost stories. Um, So buckle up, it's going to be a great episode. Alright, welcome back. Our first one is going to be from Louisiana. It comes to us from National Geographic, actually. Um, It's called My Louisiana Ghost Story, and it's by Andrew Evans. Alright, says... In an unnamed house, in an unnamed town, in a state named after King Louis the 14th, I met a ghost. We were never properly introduced. In fact, the housekeeper denied any and all ghosts the minute I walked in. Oh no, it's not haunted. At least, I've never seen anything. She announced that she led me through the grand entryway and into the hallway, dressed up with fall flower arrangements. The century-old house was massive, one huge square room after another and each one decorated with antique parlor furniture, huge potted plants, heavy frame mirrors and paintings, and crystal chandeliers that hung like glowing upside-down wedding dresses. It was a beautiful southern mansion, like so many in Louisiana, now functions as a luxurious bed and breakfast. The housekeeper showed me my suite for the night, a tremendous king-sized bed that weighed a few tons, smothered in a pile of pillows with more white lace and satin than a royal christening. I set my bags down on the floor and took in the size of the room, an immense place, cathedral-like. You'll be staying alone in the house, the housekeeper added. There are no other guests tonight. I was afraid that would be the situation. It's not the first time in my travels that I've been the sole inhabitant, of some oversized historic property, I'm used to it, though it's not always comfortable. As long as you say it's not haunted, I joked, but the housekeeper did not laugh. In fact, she looked a little concerned. No, it's not haunted, she reassured me, but two seconds later she began to elaborate. Oh, there are stories, but nobody's ever seen anything. I mean, I've never seen anything. I asked her to tell me more about these stories, and out of the housekeeper's mouth tumbled a grade-A southern ghost story. Apparently, the Cajun family who owned the house two owners ago reported the ghost of a little girl who, when she was alive, used to get locked up in the wooden closet under the stairs. Locked in the dark, she would kick and scream against the door, a habit that she carried on into her next life. Despite closing that door every night, the Cajun family noticed the closet door would always be wide open in the morning. Eventually, they began leaving little toys inside the closet at night to appease the unhappy little ghost. The housekeeper told me this is as told me this as if it were perfectly normal, and in my travels, I've gathered that ghosts are pretty normal in Louisiana. Last night, we had a Halloween party in the house, and a lot of people dressed up as ghosts. No, this was last year, not last night. (sighs) And a lot of people dressed up as ghosts that haunt their own houses. 
guess what my costume was. The housekeeper was suddenly cheerful again. I dressed up as the little girl from under the stairs. She wore a short black dress, put her hair in pigtails, and walked around with an armful of toys. I think I could have handled just about anything if the housekeeper had told me that something someone had hung himself in the foyer or the mansion was under some swamp curse or it was built on top of some old french cemetery well i would have coped fine with any of those but no instead she was describing a bothered little girl ghost trapped in a closet with an armful of old-fashioned toys now that was super creepy the housekeeper offered to spend the night in the house as well, but I said no, I'd be fine in the house alone. At least I thought it'd be fine. Honestly, I thought very little of her ghost stories. I've traveled to enough odd places and gathered my own private collection of unexplained phenomena that I prefer to keep private and unexplained. I wasn't ready to add an old Louisiana mansion to my list. It almost seemed too banal. My Cajun housekeeper was friendly and welcoming. She showed me around the town and introduced me to nearly every person we ran into. I ended up having dinner with her and her husband at a local seafood restaurant, and for hours we swapped stories and laughed. In Louisiana, you're a friend until proven otherwise. That's what everyone had told me, and I found it to be quite true. From the minute you met someone, they were genuinely warm and hospitable. It was only when she drove me back to the house that the housekeeper mentioned the ghost again. Oh, you're going to hear things tonight. You will. <laughs> she laughed nervously. Her approach had changed from a few hours earlier when she flat out denied any kind of haunting. I left it off and waved goodbye to the two of them as they drove away. Then unlocked the door with my key and entered the house alone. A few lights... Let's see. A few lights had been left on in some rooms, and I did not feel the need to start walking around the huge house to turn them off one by one. Instead, I made my way to the first floor bedroom and went into the bathroom where I changed for bed and brushed my teeth. That's when I felt it. The sudden, dreadful sensation of being watched by someone else. I felt coldness on the back of my neck, and my spine tingled. It stared at my face. I stared at my face in the mirror, but there was nothing else there. No apparitions, no vague reflections. I left the room and then shut the glass panel bathroom door, certain that I was simply scaring myself. I sat down at the table, opened my laptop, and began answering email. It was a quarter till 11, and the glow from my computer pulled me away from any fears and helped me focus on the mundane realities of our digital lives. At 11 o'clock, the noises started. Shh, 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 shh. A pair of feet shuffled across the bathroom floor. I turned towards the door I had just closed. It was still closed. The only entrance into that room. The noise repeated itself. A pair of feet shuffling across the floor, then stopping right at the other side of the bathroom door. My fingers froze on the keyboard, and I tried to think rationally. Certainly... The sound had come from someone walking. It was from inside the bathroom. Yes, I was scared. My mind went through all other things that might be making the noise, someone else entering the house, 
some very large wild animals scurrying about, but no, those have been feet pattering along the floor. That's when I crawled into the giant bed and took up my defensive position, armed pitifully with my cell phone and laptop. <laughs> At midnight, I heard a loud thump upstairs, then another followed by another. Soon there was a clatter all about, dull thuds, a few bangs, followed by the sound of someone walking around on the second floor. I remained frozen, tweeting my terror out into the great digital cloud. There are strange noises coming from upstairs. I was using Twitter to document the paranormal event that was unfolding around me. Yes, I was terrified. I hadn't taken the housekeeper seriously, and now it was nearly midnight, and I was stuck in a giant bed in a giant mansion that had suddenly come alive with strange noises. No, they were not simply old house noises that old houses make. There was no air conditioning or running heat. It was not simply the humid air turning cooler and the house settling back into its foundations, as many Twitter followers tried to explain to me. I was confident that I was the only person in the house, and yet the sounds from upstairs had me convinced someone else was moving around up there. A few minutes later, I heard the sound of someone running down the stairs. Whatever it was had joined me on the first floor. I stared at the bedroom door that then reverted to Facebook chat for some kind of small comfort. I chatted with friends in different countries, explaining my dilemma, and that I was wide awake in a house which was most likely haunted by a traumatized little girl, and that honestly, this was the kind of adventure on which I'd be happy to take a pass. Eventually, the footsteps went back up the stairs, and the clatter intensified. I wanted to laugh, but couldn't as I read my, twi my Twitter friends arguing about the existence of ghosts. All the while, I was listening to what sounded like bowling balls rolling around on the floor above me and the door slamming shut. Via social media, I began to get a flood of real-time advice on how to deal with my real-time haunting. Some said to confront the thing. Others said to call the police and report intruders. A few insisted I turn on the TV. Some said to pray to St. Michael. Others said St. Joseph was better with this sort of thing. The Hindus in India said to burn incense. My friend, who's a nun in Europe, told me to leave the house immediately, which did not make me feel better about my situation. I don't remember sleeping much, but eventually my body grew so tired that I lay down wrapped up like a mummy in my blankets. The house became silent once more, and for several hours I listened to the stillness, still terrified but hopeful that the worst was over. All I had to do was make it until morning. I woke at around 4 a.m. to the sound of tinkling glass, which grew louder and louder. It was the sound of crystal glasses clinking against crystal. Then somebody was stacking china, my mind reflected on everything I had heard through the night. I mentally begged the ghost to shut up so that I could get some sleep. I thought of the last family who had lived here, how they had appeased the ghost with toys. I had no toys to offer. The only thing I had in my bag was a small harmonica that I had recently purchased. For a second, I was relieved as I, 
as if I had something positive to offer the ghost. But then I realized that if I suddenly heard a harmonica playing in the darkness, I would probably die of cardiac arrest. Oh my goodness. And so I stayed in the bed until morning, not sleeping, not moving. I waited until I heard the housekeeper arrive and began preparing breakfast back in the kitchen. Only then, then did I crawl out of bed, open the bathroom door, take a shower, and get dressed. I took my bags out into the car, then re-entered the house through the kitchen. The, the housekeeper acted nonchalant. She gave me a breakfast and chatted about the weather until I was finally interrupted. Until I finally interrupted. I told her what happened, all the different sounds that I had heard, and how I had been kept awake for most of the night. She responded with a few confessions. You know, my son won't even step foot in this house. He'll come to the door, but he won't ever cross into it. As a teenager, he played with the owner's son inside the house and had one creepy experience that kept him away ever since. The housekeeper also told me about her little niece talking alone upstairs, chatting with some unseen friend. Then she told me about the professional ghost hunters who had come in and recorded floating orbs and EVPs and plastered the images all over the internet. All of the ghost bluster stuff that's lately become so popular on television. And yet she would never admit that she had any proof of anything. She needed the house not to be haunted, which made sense to me. If I worked all day in a big old southern mansion, I would not want it to be haunted either. Still, as we talked, the housekeeper repeatedly acknowledged the very real possibility of some kind of ghost, as well as the owner's own understanding that the house was special. Perhaps that's why she keeps telling people the house is not haunted. If there is something in the house, then we don't want the wrong kind of people coming in and provoking it. We don't want anyone bothering it. That seemed to be the right attitude, although I am personally unacquainted with the southern ghost etiquette. Yet I was surprised by the housekeeper's duality on the subject. All I know is... All I know is that I stayed alone in that house all night long during which time I heard a lot of unexplained noises. Yes, perhaps my mind played tricks all night. Maybe giant raccoons were wearing people slippers and running up and down the floors. Maybe the neighbor kids snuck into the house and played tricks on me. Or maybe, just maybe, there was a ghost of a little girl who escaped her prisoner's closet beneath the stairs and ran amok all night. Down and up the stairs, jostling the crystal and china, then giggling to herself as she scared the crap out of that tall Yankee gentleman holed up in the guest room. All right, let's see. I believe that is it for that story yep yep <sighs> so 
I know Louisiana is known for, you know, it's ghost stories and stuff like that. Um, it's very active, um, you know, scenes that it has with some of the occults and whatnot. All in all, I wouldn't be messing with the Louisiana ghost, even if it was of a little girl. All right, we'll take a short break and get right back into the ghost stories. All right, welcome back. Now we're going to get into a few shorter, but just as scary stories. This one is called A Deadly Exorcism. In August 2016, in North London, 26-year-old Kennedy Ife began acting strange and aggressive following a pain in his throat. He reportedly bit his father, threatened to cut off his own penis, and complained of a python or snake inside of him. Before his family restrained him to a bed with cables, with cable ties and excessive force. As BBC reported, the family then sent about attempting to cure Kennedy through restraint and prayer over the next three days, the court was told. His brother Colin Ife told police, It's clear that the thing was in him, what we believed was a demon, because it was not natural. It was clearly trying to kill him, he said. We had to restrain him for himself. It was clear if we didn't restrain him, he could have tried to harm people in our family. Kennedy Ife had been bound to his bed for three days without medical attention when his brother called emergency services, explaining that Kennedy Ife was complaining of dehydration. He appeared to have developed breathing issues and was pronounced dead at 10.17 a.m. As the Independent reported, while police were at the house, Colin Ife allegedly carried out an attempted resurrection by chanting and praying for Mr. Ife. All seven of Kennedy Ife's family members were accused of manslaughter, false imprisonment, and causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult. A post-mortem examination revealed over 60 wounds, including a possible bite on Kennedy Ife's body, and his father, Kenneth Ife, along with four of his brothers, sustained injuries as well. The BBC reported Kenneth Ife told jurors he ordered his sons to take shifts and use overwhelming force, but denied that an association with cults, the occult, and secret societies played any part in this death. After a four-day jury deliberation, all seven family members were cleared of charges on March 14, 2019. Weird. I don't know, because there's, there's kind of a fine line between mental illness and what we would perceive as possession. So, I do not know. <laughs> Alright, this next story is Dead Animals in the Walls. When the Bretzus family decided to insulate their home in Auburn, Pennsylvania in 2015, they discovered that it had already been insulated with scores of dead animal carcasses. 
As Fox reported, the dead animals were wrapped in newspapers from the 1930s and 40s and were among half and were among half-used spices and other items. After removing the items, they sent hundreds of artifacts and carcasses to an expert in Kutztown. The expert attributed the rotting animals in the walls to powwow or Dutch magic, a ritual originating in the culture of the Pennsylvania Dutch to treat ailments and gain physical, spiritual protection. The Pennsylvania Dutch were a group of German-speaking settlers to Pennsylvania in the 1600s and 1700s and are often of Lutheran, Mennonite, or Amish faiths. The Washington Post notes on the magic, many of the spells deal with the care of livestock, finding water, or the treatment of minor ailments, reflecting the conditions or concerns of early American settlers. But powwow also has within it a tradition of darker spells, and even such thing as conjuring demons. One notable ritual in their tradition is this hex to create a loyal loyalty in a dog. To attach a dog to a person, provided nothing else was used before to affect it, try to draw some of your blood and let the dog eat it along with his food, and he will stay with you. The mold found on the rotting carcasses in the Bretzu's home has caused illness among the family members, and they say that the odor hasn't gone away. Right, that was a good one. Scurry, scurry, stuff you shouldn't be playing with. Unless you know what you're doing. Alright, this next one is called Florida Devil Worshipping. Friends noticed that Danielle Harkins, a 35-year-old school teacher near St. Petersburg, Florida, started acting strangely in June of 2012, developing an interest in demonic rituals. Soon after, she was arrested for the abuse of seven of her former students, as the Tampa Bay Times reported. Danielle Harkins told the kids they needed to rid their bodies of demons as the group gathered before dusk Saturday around a small fire near St. Petersburg Pier. They should cut their skin to let the evil spirits out, police, police said she told the children. Then they needed to burn the wounds to ensure that those spirits would not return. When Harkins held a lighter to one teen's hand, wind blew the flame out, police said. That prompted her to douse his hand in perfume before setting it on fire. The boy suffered second-degree burns, police said. Another teen was cut on the neck with a broken bottle, police said. Harkins used a flame to heat a small key, which she then used to cauterize the wound. My gosh. <laughs> This went from sounding like everybody was willing to sounding like some people tried to get away. Cut on the neck with a broken bottle? What the crap? The police were notified because of a friend of one of the students who's, who participated in the ritual raised alarms. However, none of the students themselves told their parents about the event or would comment following the rest, arrest of Harkins for aggravated battery or child abuse. NBC reported... Investigators said they've spoken to Harkins, but she didn't spell out what type of religion would require such drastic measures. She, has, she hasn't informed us exactly what she was trying to accomplish with this, said the St. Petersburg police. 
That is uh, scary. Having them cut themselves and then burn themselves. <sighs> scary, scary. A lot of times you will find um, in the more disturbed of our kind is, you know, people, you know, whether they go crazy or they're deranged or they're following some uh, religion or trying to accomplish something dark. I don't know. But it's pretty amazing and not in a good way. Um, the depths at which um, people really do become the monsters. All right, but I digress. Here is another one. The death of Elisa, Elisa, Elisa. The death of Eliza Lamb. There we go. Eliza Lamb was last seen on January 31st, 2013 in the lobby of a Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. She was vacationing through the West Coast, documenting the trip on her blog, and checking in with her parents every day. On January 31st, those calls stopped. Lamb had vanished. Soon the police were involved and her parents arrived to help with the search. They had nothing. That February, LAPD released elevator surveillance footage of Lamb before her disappearance. The footage shows Lamb behaving strangely in the elevator, appearing to talk with invisible people, peering around the corner of the door, crouching in the corner, and opening and closing the door. But what exactly happened is going... What exactly is going on in this video raises more questions than answers. Theories range from psychotic episodes to demonic possession to unknown assailants just out of the camera's view. Around that time, hotel guests started reporting weird things happening in the Cecil Hotel water supply. As CNN reports, the shower was awful, said Sabina Bo, who spent... I gotta turn off this video that started started playing. <laughs> I'll uh, post the video in the Facebook group for anybody that wants to see it. But back to the story. All right, the shower was awful," said Sabina Bo, who spent eight days there during the investigation. When he turned on the tap, the water was coming out black first for two seconds, and then it was going back to normal. The tap water tasted horrible. It had a very funny, sweet, disgusting taste. It was a very strange taste. I can barely describe it. But for a week, they never complained. We never thought anything of it, she said. We thought it was just the way it was here. On the morning of February 19th, a hotel employee climbed to the roof and used a ladder to investigate the hotel's water storage tanks. That's where authorities found the decomposing naked body of lamb. Where, whose personal items were found nearby. After an autopsy, her death was labeled an accident. NBC Los Angeles reported at the time about the strange circumstances in the hotel's past. The tank had a metal latch that can be opened, but authorities said access to the roof is secured with an alarm and a lock. The single-room occupancy hotel has a rather unusual history. Night Stalker Richard Ramirez, 
who was found guilty of 14 slayings in the 1980s, lived on the 14th floor for several months in 1985. An international serial killer, Jack Underwood, is suspected of murdering three prostitutes during the time he lived there in 1991. He killed himself in jail in 1994. In, er, in 1962, a female occupant jumped out of one of the hotel windows, killing herself and a pedestrian on whom she landed. Freaky. All right, and I will watch this video of Lamb acting weird in the elevator, and I'll put it on the Facebook group uh, to see what you guys think. All right, moving on to the next story. An exorcism in Indianapolis. Last year, the Indianapolis Star published a lengthy report on a family terrorized by three children allegedly possessed by demons. The account of Latoya Ammons and her family tell disturbing stories of children climbing up the walls, getting thrown across the room, and children threatening doctors in deep, unnatural voices. It would seem like something straight out of a movie, a work of fantasy, except all of these accounts were more or less corroborated within nearly 800 pages of official reports obtained by the Indianapolis Star and recounted in more than a dozen interviews with police, DCS personnel, psychologists, family members, and a Catholic priest. One of the more chilling sections of the report includes a segment about a possessed nine-year-old. According to Washington's original, original DCS report, an account corroborated by Walker, the nurse, the nine-year-old had a weird grin and walked backwards up a wall to the ceiling. He then flipped over Campbell, landing on his feet. He never let go of his grandmother's hand. Another segment of this piece reads, the 12-year-old wound, or the 12-year-old would later tell mental health professionals that she sometimes felt as if she were being choked and held down so she couldn't speak or move. She s said she heard a voice say she's not she'd never see her family again and wouldn't live another 20 minutes. Oh, that one's sad and scary. I don't like that one at all. All right. Um, last one for a minute, and then we'll take a short break. Utah murder-suicide. In September of 2014, a Utah teen returned home to find his parents and three siblings dead. In a notebook, a to-do list had been scribbled on the pages. The list looked as if his parents were ready to go on vacation. Items such as feed the pets, find someone to watch after the house were written. The Salt Lake Tribune reported it appeared to be a murder-suicide. There was no suicide note, no prior indication that they would do this, no explanation. Police could not figure out why the two parents would kill themselves and three of the four children. For a year, no one knew exactly what happened to the family or what would drive the parents to something so unthinkable. In January, police released more chilling details in the case. According to accounts from family members and an investigation by police, the parents were driven by a belief that the apocalypse was coming 
and an obsession with a convicted killer. As Washington Post reported, friends and family told police that the parents were worried about the evil in the world and wanted to escape a pending apocalypse, but most assumed they just wanted to move somewhere off the grid. Investigators also found letters written by Christy Strack to one of the state's most infamous convicted killers, Dan Lafferty, who was convicted in 1984 fatal stabbing of his sister-in-law and her one-year-old daughter. According to trial testimony, he killed the victim at the order of his brother, Ron Lafferty, who claimed to have had a revelation from God. The story became a book called Under the Banner of Heaven. Police said Christy Strack became friends with Dan Lafferty, and she and her husband had even visited him in prison. Oh, that's sad. That's so sad. Alright, let's take a short break and then get right back into some stories. Alright, welcome back. Again, some of these stories are from Esquire.com. Alright, this next one is called The Phone Stalker. In 2007, ABC News documented a series of cell phone calls to families with terrifying specific death threats. The unidentified callers knew exactly what families were doing and what they were wearing. The families say the calls come in all hours of the night, threatening to kill their children, their pets, and grandparents. Voicemails arrived, playing recordings of their private conversations, including one with local police detective. The, callers, the caller knows the family said what they're wearing and what they're doing. And after months of investigating, police seemed powerless to stop them. This went on with the Kulkanal family for months, who reported a caller with a scratchy voice threatening to slit their throat. When the Firecrest Washington police tried to find the culprit, the calls were traced back to the Koikno's own phones, even when they were turned off. It got worse. The Kokendals and the first and two other Furcrest families told ABC News that they believe the callers are using their cell phones to spy on them. They say the hackers know their every move, what, where they are and what they're doing and what they're wearing. The callers have recorded private conversations. The families and police said including a meeting with the local detective. I mean, this isn't that far-fetched, especially with today's, you know, society. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody, you know, cell phones listen to specific keywords to trigger specific ads that pay for the whole shebang. So, like, I mean, in a sense, privacy is kind of an old-fashioned thing. And I think the only people that still have any iota of privacy... Um, are probably people with like, you know, that have maintained maybe a flip phone with no internet access or they don't carry a phone and they don't have a social media presence and stuff like that. Because I think eventually it's just, it's all going to be public record. (laughs) 
But I digress. Alright, this one's called The Watcher. After moving into their $1.3 million dream home, a New Jersey family started receiving creepy death threats from someone who identified themselves as The Watcher. As, in, as CBS News reported earlier this year, since moving in, the owners said they have received numerous letters from the mysterious person, The Watcher, claimed that the home has been subject to my family for decades, and I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming, Castro reported. The new owners have several children, and other letters ask, what have they found out? What's in the walls? Or have they found out what's in the walls yet? And I'm pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. The family was forced to flee from their home and later filed a lawsuit against the previous owners. Well, yeah, that's kind of freaky. But yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, it's one thing to, like be harassing like a person another person like that's wrong and bad karma in and of itself and you'll get what's coming to you you know just in a karmic balance of things um but when they have kids it makes it so much worse so much worse leave those youngins alone my gosh all right um we will take a short break and get back into some Gary Ghost Stories. All right, welcome back. We're going to jump right into Chilling Real Ghost Stories provided by RD.com. Again, this is usually pulled from Reddit, um, some of the internet's creepiest and best written ghost stories. Alright, without further ado, here I go. According to a 2012 poll, nearly half, 45% of Americans believe in ghosts. Scientists have come up with many reasons for spirit sightings, ranging from the physical, low-frequency sounds, magnetic fields, thermal patterns, to the psychological, suggestibility, fear of mortality, but while ghosts can't be proved to exist, they, can, they cannot resoundingly be debunked either. We've selected five of the inter internet's most vivid first-hand experiences with the paranormal. Read them and then ask yourself, do you believe? These famous ghost stories have total, totally logical explanations. Alright, this one's called Little Hands. I've never lived in a haunted house, but my mother did as a teen. Other houses on her street had strange things going on too. A few homes away from her lived a man and his family. One night, one of his daughters went to bed with a bad headache. The next day, she was dead. She passed away from an aneurysm. After the funeral, the family went away to get their minds off the tragedy. The father asked my uncle, my mom's brother, to check on their pets. My mom and dad, they were dating then, went with my uncle. 
My mother had heard that there was a grand piano, and she wanted to play it, and my dad was studying to be a veterinarian. After entering the house, my uncle and my father headed to the basement to see the animals, and my mother went to the piano on the ground floor. She was playing it when something, when she felt something brush her ankles. She thought a cat must have left the basement and walked past her. She kept playing, and she felt it again. She looked under the piano and saw nothing. Then she started again. She felt hands clasp her legs and grab them tightly. She dashed to the basement door, called my uncle and my father, and waited for them. When they all walked outside, my father or my uncle could tell my mom was rattled and asked what was wrong. She told him what had happened, and he turned white. He told her the daughter he used to play a game with her father. When he'd play the piano, she'd crawl underneath and grab his ankles and push his feet up and down on the pedals. And again, that came from Reddit. This next one, The Unseen Patient. The ambulance company that I used to work for had a haunted ambulance, Rig 12. A lot of EMTs had stories about it, but I never put much stock in paranormal stuff. That is, until I had my own experience with Rig 12. My partner and I were working in a rural community at 3 a.m., and it was pitch dark and completely quiet. We were both dozing. I was in the driver's seat, and she was in the passenger. I woke up to a muffled voice and thought my partner was talking. I told her I was trying to sleep and closed my eyes. I distinctly heard a male voice say, Oh my God, am I dying? Followed by a few seconds of heavy breathing. My partner and I sat straight up and looked back into the patient compartment where it sounded like the voice had come from. Things were quiet for a couple seconds. Then we heard the click of an oxygen bottle regulator and a hiss as if it was leaking. I turned on the lights and we ran around the rig. We ran out of the rig. I thought a transient might have climbed in while we were asleep, so we opened the rear doors. No one was there. I checked the oxygen bottles. Neither was opened. We didn't sleep much after that. This next one, the impish ghost. My neighbor Diane and I had a playful poltergeist for years, and we called it Billy. I'd come home and find something put in a weird place. Milk in a cupboard, toilet paper in the fridge, laundry detergent in the bathtub. Diane once called to ask if... If Billy had been around, because she couldn't find a gallon of milk. We finally found it outside on her back steps. And sugar, darn sugar. Every morning, my sugar bowl was empty. When I had enough, I point to Diane's home and yell, Go see Diane. Within five minutes, I get a call from her, and she'd say, Thanks a lot, because he'd gone and pulled shenanigans at her place. The occurrence, This occurred for the entire two years we lived there. No one believed us, not even our husbands. My mother thought someone was stealing from us and we were sleeping when we were sleeping or out of the house. My sister believed something was going on but didn't know what. I still can't explain any of it. Alright. Good story. The Eerie Attic. 
it seems so cliche to start by saying I don't believe in ghosts, but, however, that's where I'm coming from. A few years ago, I moved into a one-bedroom apartment in Melbourne, Australia. It was my first time living on my own. The apartment block had been built in the 1930s. I'd been there for a few months when I came home from work one day and went into the bathroom. I saw something strange. A wooden board covered a hole in the ceiling that led to a small attic. Space lay broken in two pieces on the ground. I examined the broken pieces. The board was an inch thick and it had to have taken a Bruce Lee to break it. I thought the landlord had sent someone to work on the attic. I was frozen stiff with fear. I thought someone is up there for sure. I emailed pictures to the landlord asking if anyone had been there with an undertone of annoyance since she hadn't warned me. Her reply read, please call me as soon as you are able to. I called and she had explained that her last two tenants had said the same thing happened. She promised to replace the board and she did. A month later, I woke up one night around 4 a.m. I had so many goosebumps. It felt as if someone was rubbing his or her hands on me. Everything was silent, but then I heard the sound coming from above my bed. It was a dragging sound, like someone pulling a sack of potatoes. I was frozen stiff with fear. I thought, someone is up there for sure. There's no way an animal could make that sound. After five minutes, I managed to work up the courage to turn on the light and walk to the bathroom. I was armed with a cricket bat. When I looked, I saw the new board covering the hole was broken in two. I felt sick. The dragging sound had stopped, but I heard something else. Whispering. The sound was clear and coming from the attic. It sounded like children's voices, and I could hear one sentence repeated over and over. It's your turn. 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 I switched on every light in the apartment to make things feel normal. It was 5 a.m. and dark outside. I watched TV to try to unwind. Then a fuse blew. My pet, Budgie Dexter, who I kept in the kitchen, usually never made a sound at night, but he started squawking like he was being strangled. I never heard him make those sort of noises. He was screaming. I grabbed my car keys, ran out, and sat in my car and waited there until the sun came up. When I saw people walking their dogs, this comforted me enough to go back in. The front door was open, but I thought I hadn't closed it when I ran out. I went to the kitchen to check on Dexter. He wasn't in his cage. I felt sick again. All my windows were closed, so I looked everywhere inside. When I walked to the bathroom, I heard splashing. Dexter was half drowned in the toilet. I took him out, and washed him, and dried him. I was so confused. At 8 a.m., I called the landlord and gave her a watered-down version of the night. She said, oh, wow, you heard the whispering, too. I stayed in that apartment for another 18 months. I heard the whispering on a few occasions. Twice, the board covering the hole in the ceiling moved. Although I live elsewhere, the landlord recently called. She said that her new tenant had begged to speak with me about some stuff that's been going on there. Forget it. That's their problem now. Ooh, creepy. 
Alright, this next one is The Boy With No Eyes. One night, when I was ten, I was woken up by my bedroom door opening, followed by someone sitting on my bed. I felt my leg grazed and the bed sink under someone's weight. Thinking it was my mom, I opened my eyes to see an eyeless boy. He had black, empty sockets around my age sitting at the foot of my bed. He extended his hand, and in it was a little box. I was startled, but reached out. He pulled back. I reached again and said, give it. Then I blinked, and when I reopened my eyes, he was gone. But the imprint of someone sitting on my bed was still present. Fast forward years. My girlfriend came over to do homework. After she finished, she took a nap while she waited for her parents. When they arrived, I tried waking her. She opened her eyes suddenly, looking up at the corner where the wall met the ceiling. She pointed there and went back to sleep. I shook her again. She came to full consciousness, and I explained what she'd done. She said, up on the wall, I saw a little boy with no eyes. He was there in a Spider-Man pose, staring at me. I freaked out and told her my story about the same kid. Fast forward another five years, I was with the same girlfriend, and we had a two-year-old. We were living in my parents' house in my old room. My daughter started walking, or waking up at the same time every night, and she'd talk. After a while, I noticed she had almost the same conversation every night. I playfully asked her once whom she was talking to. She said, it's a nice little boy. It's a little boy. He's nice. He's lost and looking for his mommy. My daughter's nightly conversations continued until we got our own place later that year. Ooh, creepy. Creepy, creepy. Um, that almost sounds like a black-eyed child, so I would not be messing with that. Um, but I digress. Alright, we'll take a short break and get right back into some spooky stories. Alright, welcome back. I found a really cool article on GQ where a couple of their staff members... Um, recall stories that happened to them. So I will begin. This one is called A Strange Painting. I'm four, maybe five, sleeping in a big boy bed in a room I share with my younger brother, who's fast asleep. Though I barely move at all now, my girlfriend refers to my preferred sleeping position as the bouncer. Flat on back, arms crossed, no movement. I tended to thrash a lot back then and wake up often as a result. And so one night I found myself half covered in blankets, awake, and staring at a young woman dressed in a flowy white clothing. She is sitting on the ground back against a very large wooden toy box at the foot of my bed, reading a book, I think. The memory always feels a little fuzzy. And to be honest, at this point, my mom tells it better than I do. But I saw her and slowly pulled the sheets to my eyes, scared as I'll get out. I'd pull them back down and she'd still be there. I'd pull them back up. I don't know how long this went on. An hour or 30 seconds. And somehow I fell back asleep. Woke up the next morning and told my mom what I'd seen. I don't know if she believes in ghosts, but she doesn't not believe in ghosts. And she listened and cared. 
And then weeks later, my mom was digging through the attic for something, and she stumbled upon a picture painting thing, you know, like they did back in the 80s. Uh, tchotchke art. It was a woman in white, wrapped in clouds of fabric. We'd owned the house for a couple years at that point, so who knows where it came from. But my mom liked it and hung it up in the bathroom. So I got to relive my ghost story every time I took a leak. That was from John Wilde, their digital director. The next one is called An Odd Coincidence. One winter last year, I was hanging out with some friends at their apartment on Rivington Street in Manhattan's Lower East Side. I'd recently learned that my great-grandfather Izzy spent a chunk of his teenage days in an LES tenement, uh, which I brought up to the group. I wondered how close the tenement might have been to their place, so I texted my grandmother, Izzy's daughter, to see what she knew. She found this World War I draft card, and it listed the exact same address as my friend's apartment. Obviously, it's not the same building anymore, but it was still weird. Then a few moments after that, we heard someone knocking on my friend's door, over and over and over again. They have a neighbor who complains about noise all the time, so we figured it was him. But when we opened the door, there was no one there. The knocking resumed again a few minutes later. We tried to laugh it off, but we were all sufficiently shook, and now, of course, I believe in ghosts. That's from Alex Schultz, their editorial assistant. A girl and her dog. My dad is a photographer, and one time he stayed at, at this hotel up in Vermont for a shoot. He was woken up in the middle of the night when a little white dog ran through his room. Shortly after that, a young girl, about seven or eight years old, came into his room in pursuit of the dog. She sat at the foot of his dead at the foot of his bed and asked if he had seen her dog. He says he wasn't scared. It was just a normal little girl, but there was still something about the whole thing that felt supernatural. My dad told her it ran into the bathroom and if she was lost and needed to find her parents. She said no, caught up and followed the dog into the bathroom. My dad went in to help her get the dog, but when he got in there, the room was empty. Then a few weeks later, his assistant was staying in the same room with his sister. Weirdly, both of them had the same dream about their dad coming into the room, sitting on the edge of their bed, then going into the bathroom. When they woke up the next morning, they got a call from their mother saying their dad had passed away that night. And that came to us from someone on the art team. Click, click. This next one is called Click, Click, Click. This was around 2013. I just graduated from college and was living with my parents again in a house where weird things were always happening. It was 3 a.m. and I was working as a freelance video editor, editing a lo-fi, very, very bad music video for a local artist on my desk in my bedroom. My back was to the bed behind me. My dog, Kovu, a pit bull lab mix, was lying next to me on the floor, fast asleep. After hours of watching the music video over and over again, 
and listening to the same song on repeat for days. I decided to mute the edit as I worked on some effects. My headphones still on. And then I heard a click click. The lamp next to my bed, which is one of those twist switches across from the room, turned off, then on again. Kovu sat up. He was staring directly above the lamp, his eyes fixed. But since I had my headphones on, I thought I heard, I thought I had imagined what just happened. Maybe the delirium of being awake that late and working on the same thing was making my head spin. I turned and continued to work, headphones off. Click, 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 click. Off, on, off, on, twice. The dog was growling now. The hair on the back of his neck stood up straight up, and his gaze didn't move since the click started. I stared in the direction of the lamp. A chill ran down my spine. The room became cold. I was frozen. I slowly turned and looked at my laptop. Kovu was still growling and slowly got up. Click, 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 click. On, off on, off on, off on, off on, off on, off on. Kovu started barking. The light was flicking off and on repeatedly. So I picked up. So I picked him up and ran out of my sister's room, ran out to my sister's room and slept on the floor. The next day, I moved all of my stuff into the spare room. And that comes from James Pettigrew, supervising video producer. This next one is The White Woman. On a snowy night before I was born, my aunt and uncle were driving home from my parents' house on a winding road in Ridgefield, Connecticut. They took a sharp turn and saw a woman. They had to swerve to avoid her as they sped past. Something about it unnerved them. The woman was wearing this long white gown. Wouldn't she freeze in the snow? She looked pale too, creepy pale. So they turned around to offer her a ride into town, pulled up and got out of the car to look for her, but she was gone. The next day, they told my parents about it who pulled out an old history book about the town. They found out that a hermit woman, Sarah Bishop, used to live in a cave in the same woods, but would dress up in a long gown and come to church every Sunday, a church not far from where my aunt and uncle pulled over. She passed away in 1810, and she has had an, after she had an accident on a stormy night and eventually froze to death. And that comes from Colin Groundwater, assistant to the editor-in-chief. And this is the doorbell. This was around 2004 in California when I was a sophomore in college. I lived and worked on campus in Irvine, about 45 minutes away from where my parents lived, but would drive back every weekend to do laundry. Cheaper than doing it in the dorms, at least. One night, I came in hauling my big plastic Target hamper full of dirty clothes. No one was home, so I put my stuff down in the laundry room, made my way to the living room, and turned on the TV. I started dozing off after a few minutes when the doorbell rang. It's not one of those ding-dong doorbells either. It's one of those slow, deliberate Westminster chimes you hear from old clocks. Okay, weird, I thought. So I bolted over to the entrance and realized 
idiot that I was that I'd left the front door wide open. I went outside and didn't see anyone, which was odd. My parents live on a massive open street where if someone was running away, you'd see them. When I turned around and noticed this framed photo I'd never seen, sitting on it's sitting on a makeshift sitting on a makeshift altar near the entrance. And it's of my grandfather in the Philippines. He he had died earlier that week. Every hair on my body stood up. And then, just as immediately, I remembered feeling this enormous warmth just wash over me. All of his grandchildren, my parents, would tell me I was the one Grandpa was always looking out for. And comes from, looks like the site editor. right looks like this is the last one it's called something in the woods there's this really creepy and supposedly haunted road outside of my hometown of syracuse called whiskey hollows road kids would all go there to drink or smoke weed out of an apple or whatever one night when my friends and i were there we all freaked out we thought there was some sort of monster or ghost or maybe serial killer skulking around the woods but it turned out to just be a bear. And that's from Gabe Conti, web producer. Alright. So, some pretty cool stories from those that work at GQ. It's cool that they realized that they had enough of them to make an article about it. Um, let's see... Beyond the familiar horrors of the workplace, bad vi- bad bosses, annoying co-workers, and demanding deadlines with no end in sight, some people have unsettling experiences that cannot be explained by earthly logic. Years later, even after they've left their jobs, they still remember the offices that haunted them during long, lonely shifts. Number one, the one with the disembodied voice. We've come to believe a terrible accident took place during the building of our coffee shop. The first time I noticed anything, I was in the lobby alone, no customers, all coworkers in the back room, and I heard a man ask, Where are my hands? I nearly peed my pants. Since then, every now and then, weird things will happen. We'll hear someone asking for help or saying, Hello? 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 when no one is in the store. There have been multiple times I'm in the back alone washing dishes and see someone move out of the corner of my eye or hear something fall or shuffle. I'll check and no one will be there. We'll hear the bell of our door opening, but no one is there. I definitely don't enjoy my shifts when something like that happens. And that's from Francisca. She's a barista with a major coffee chain in Washington. The one with creepy people just out of sight. I was in field service as a technician, so I traveled a lot. This was a customer that I was dispatched to in Texas. I flew out and arrived late on Friday, so I had to go in on Saturday. When I arrived, I noticed there weren't many cars in the parking lot. The business was closed and had someone waiting on me that morning to let me in, and he left me there alone. 
it was a large building about the size of one and a half football fields. It has about five fans on the long wall with loose slats on the outside to blow out hot air, but not let cold air blow in. I started up the machine and got to work. I didn't notice anything at first, but kept having a strange feeling that there were that someone or a few people were there. I even went out to check the parking lot a few times. At about noon, the guy that let me in came back and asked if I wanted to go to lunch. I told him I was fine and continued working after he gave me his number to call when I was close to being done. Shortly after he left, I started hearing footsteps all around me, like people casually walking down aisles, but stopping as soon as I got near the few times I would investigate. I smoke, so I was outside almost hourly, and it was a calm and cool day without any wind. When it wasn't footsteps, I started hearing the slats moving about as if there was wind. I couldn't get a good look from the inside because of the fans, but it just looked as if the wind was causing them to flap. And I walked out, and there wasn't any wind. When it wasn't... Um, I couldn't get a good look. Let's see. No, here we are. Not a single leaf on the trees were moving. When I came back inside, they would stay quiet for a short while and start again until I would go outside to check. This happened about 10 times or so. The creepiest part of being there was seeing what appeared to be people walk past equipment in my peripheral vision, but seeing nothing when I would turn around. I had about four or five of those experiences. I called the guy around five and told him I was done. He came in and he locked the place up. I didn't think about it at the time, but remember that he wouldn't come inside. That's Carlos, the field service technician for a laser company. The one with the ominous phone rings. In our office, if you worked past 9 p.m., Sometimes the printer would just start printing stuff, and you'd be the only one there. Phones would ring and ring, and when you answer, no one's there. Lights flashing lights flashing on the intercom, and no one was around. Those were some dicey nights. Alright. The one with noises downstairs that can't be explained. The food kitchen at the restaurant where I work is downstairs. We stopped serving food at 10, but we're still open until midnight. When I was closing up a few years ago, I was minding my own business when I started hearing what sounded like pots and pans clanging. I assumed the kitchen boys were still there, so I went down to see what the commotion was all about. When I got there, the lights were off, and they had left for the night. Needless to say, I ran back upstairs and waited for the arrival of a regular to calm my, calm my nerves. When I mentioned it to the other regulars and our nighttime cleaning men, they corroborated my story and said that they had also had strange experiences in the restaurant at night, enough to get my blood pressure up. This one is called The One with a Ghost Turning on the Light. Tampa Theater is a very haunted place, and we've had enough paranormal investigators that have explored the building and corroborated. Yeah, 
we've got something here. Foster Fink Finley, the ghost of former projectionist, likes to turn the lights on up in the projection booth. That probably scared me more than anything else, just because we had been in the building all evening with a group of investigators with a documentary crew. We were up in the booth, we were wrapping up the night, we had had a piece of equipment called a REM pod with us, it's a proximity sensor. The ghost asked Fink, the spirit of the projectionist, can you make the lights light up, indicating the piece of equipment, and then the overhead lights came on. The doc the documentary crew, thank goodness, did not use the clip of their friendly marketing director going, okay, that's weird. And that comes from Director of Marketing and Community Relations for that theater. The one with a ponytail tug. There were occasions that I would be working on off days or times when no one else was in the elementary school building. In the silence, I could sometimes hear what sounded like faint shuffling or whispering in the hallway. Very often, toilets would flush, sinks would turn on and off by themselves. One hot day near the end of the school year, I had my ponytail, or I had my hair pulled back in a ponytail. As I sat at my desk, I felt something lightly tug the ponytail twice. No one was there. It all felt very playful and kid-like, and I wasn't afraid. Other people were a little freaked out when they noticed things happening, especially the flushing toilets. They were loud. Right, that's all of that list. Going right along with these stories, I have one of my own to share. It's not the craziest story I ever had. I saved those for my Shadow Men stories um, and the things I used to see in my house. This one, though comes from when we were not at home we would be usually always at the church my parents worked at the church my dad was a song leader my mom worked at the christian school and so because my mom worked at the christian school she would take us at all hours so she could prepare her lesson plans or fix her room the way she wanted it and sometimes it got pretty late I know one of the things that I just accepted as something that happened all the time is when they were building the new gym, the new gymnasium, and we were just settling in as, you know, people to classrooms and stuff like that. My mom was in hers. The other side of my mom's classroom was the gymnasium where you could hear people bouncing basketballs and you could just hear all the sounds that you would normally hear in a gymnasium when it's in use. And we'd sneak down the dark hallways outside my mom's classroom. Hers was the only light that was on. We'd sneak down there, you know, kind of flipping on lights as we go because we're scared. <laughs> Um, and as soon as we would reach the double doors that led into the gym, we would open the gym doors, and there would be no basketballs out. There would be no lights on, except for the one that 
uh, was high above the scoreboard and cafeteria. Um, would be the only light for the entire gym that would be on. There was no people. There was no one playing basketball. There was no sounds of running or any kind of scurrying away. Um, this would happen on and off um, for a while, especially right after the gym was built. Um, I remember we'd be in there late at night, being like, Mom, are you done? Like, we want to go home. You know how kids are. Um, and then I would think my friends might be there because I would hear, you know, the basketballs. So again, I'd go down there, hear running, hear the sound of squeaker or the sneakers squeaking on the hardwood floor, basketballs dribbling. And I'm just thinking like, oh, one of the other teacher's kids are here too. So we can maybe play while my mom's still upstairs doing her teacher thing. Open the doors again, no basketballs, no people, nothing. Even went to find the basketballs, and they're still all neatly stacked on their racks in the garage. So no one was playing basketball. But this would happen all the time. And eventually, we just came to know that although we heard noises that sounded like people were playing in the gym, when we got to the gym, we just knew no one would be playing no one would be in there. No one would be walking around. It would be, just be quiet. So that was a freaky little outside of our haunted home story. Um, the same thing would happen whenever we'd be playing in the back of the church. Um, you would hear, you know, a note from the piano would strike in the darkness. Or something would strum a guitar that was left out. Um, just little things like that. <laughs> and they would echo, and it would be like, nope, there's nobody in there. I'm not going in there. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <sighs> I think those stories, and the fact that when we were really little, like five or younger, uh, my parents would let us run in the dark sanctuary in Georgia, just run smack dab into like pews because <laughs> it's dark. Um, but I think the experiences there and the experiences um, throughout my life have kind of taught me that like if I'm dreaming and I either am finding myself in our old haunted house or I'm finding myself in a church that is dark, it's about to turn into a very scary dream, and I usually wake myself up. All right, so I know that wasn't the most terrifying episode, um, but still lots of good frights. Always good for a regular scare. Um, I'm always looking for really good content for you guys. Um... And then don't forget to submit your own stories. There's been a lot of stories submitted. I am currently going through them, um, trying to organize them into episodes. But keep those stories coming. Um, you can send them to me or feel free to post them on the 
Facebook page, Paranormal Stories. Spooky Shiz is in parentheses. If you feel like sharing with the our little world there. I do want to say thank you to everyone that's invited your friends, your spooky friends, to the Facebook group. We're over 120 members strong now. So, good job, guys. I love that my two... Uh, t-shirt winners posted pictures with their t-shirts and put them on there. That's awesome. I'm sure we'll be doing more t-shirt giveaways in the future. That was fun. All right. Well, I woke up yesterday and couldn't taste and couldn't smell. So I went and got a COVID test. So we'll see what the results of that are. I figured I wanted to get an episode in before I started feeling too bad. So, with that being said, I will see you again next week um, with a new episode. All right, stay spooky, my friends. Bye-bye.